Mike, what do we got next? Excellent. Uh, so as we start this series called Indestructible Joy, hopefully uh, you've, you're ready with your Bible. We'll be in the, the first chapter of Philippians. Last week we got through two whole verses. Uh, we'll cover more ground today. But the title of today's message is this, Becoming Who I Was Made to Be. Becoming Who I Was Made to Be. And there is this joy found uh, in being the me that I was created to be, right? Um, when you are fulfilling your destiny and your purpose, God uh, gives you this joy. And what we've been saying is that joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. Joy is not dependent upon our, our, our happiness, our emotions. Joyful people are not the people who are always smiling uh, or uh, always walking around like, hey, hey. No, joy is, is something far deeper. We took about Christian joy. And, um, and so indestructible joy is what God gives to us. And I don't know about you. But we kind of all live, at least I do, and maybe you've experienced this, we live with this underlying dislike of ourselves. Have you experienced that? Where you just kind of feel like, you know what, I'm really not making the cut. I'm, I'm really not doing as well as I probably should be. I'm just not enough. I'm not meeting the standard that someone else has set for me, maybe that, that I've set for me, or I feel like my parents have set for me, or the world has set for me. And, um, and, and I feel, just being perfectly honest with you, I feel often as, as a husband, I feel like I'm not meeting the standard. I feel like a failure as a husband most days. I, I feel like as a parent, I feel like I'm a failure as a parent. There are so many other things I should be doing. I just feel like, oh, I'm not meeting them. As a pastor, I feel like, oh, there's this list of things I could be doing and should be doing as a pastor. And I'm, and I'm trying all these things. And I just feel like a failure. And, and it's like Satan is just continuing to whisper in my ear every day. You're not good enough. You're, you're, you're not making it. And, um, and and I don't know if you experienced that, but that that hits me hard um, and, and it robs me of joy when I start listening to that voice. We ask these questions like, am I ever going to improve? I'm still dealing with these same issues. Is there any hope for me? And um, the good news is there there is hope for all of us. And the good news is we don't have to listen to that voice. We need to listen to God's voice, our maker's voice. And, um, and you've probably heard the, the word because a lot of times we get into trouble because we're really comparing ourselves to others or to a false standard that God uh, didn't call us. Uh, but you've heard the statement probably, comparison is the thief of joy. Have you heard that before? Comparison is the thief of joy. When we start comparing ourselves to others or to these standards, we start giving away our joy or or robbing ourselves of that joy. Um, one of the things I wanted to learn to do during the pandemic was to learn how to swim. And I, I knew how to swim functionally, uh, but because of obviously the pandemic, gyms were closed and, and, uh, and I wasn't able to uh, run because of some injuries I had. I thought, well, when the pool's open, I want to learn how to swim. And eventually the pool's open. I was going to an outdoor pool and um, and I was kind of struggling because um, I didn't know how to swim. And so I'm watching YouTube. And that's what a guy told me one day. He said, just watch YouTube. And I was like, well, I tried that and it's not working. I'm like, bleh, bleh, I'm like drowning. And, um, and but then I learned some mechanics and I had some people uh, kind of help me with some things. And um, in the summer, I was actually in New York at my family's house and my aunt had a pool. And so I, I did some practice there and that helped, you know, when you're kind of by yourself and you can like drown without the attention of everyone, um, you know. And so um, so, but then I go to the pool and, and, uh, man, there are these kids. It was like a swim team, you know, next to me and man, little five-year-old kids, right? Just bam, 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 just laps like that. And I can, I can't even do one lap like to the end. 
And, um, and then there are these like uh, older folks, you know, 70-year-old, 60-year-old. And I remember we had a gentleman here at our church. His name was Sherman Van. And I always respected him and looked up to him. And I know he would go, I'd see him sometimes at the rec center. And he would do laps and just swim. And he was like 88, you know, and just like, just smooth and just gliding through the water. And I'm watching these these ladies next to me in their 70s and 80s, and they're just smooth and gliding through the water. And I'm like, wah, 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 wah. I'm just like, fall, and I get to the end, and I'm like, <gasps> and they're just like, you know, and, and you know what happens is I'm being robbed of my joy. And I'm also being robbed of learning how to swim and work on my technique because I'm too busy looking at the people in the other lane instead of focusing on what I should be doing. Because I've learned that swimming is a very technical sport. You got to work on your core and you got to hold your legs like this and you got to move your arms this way. And there's all kinds of things that I never knew. There's a whole world of swimming about how you're supposed to hold your hands and turn your head and all kinds of stuff that if you've ever done swimming before, I I didn't know there was a whole world of technique. And that's the stuff I'm supposed to be focused on. But instead, I'm looking at them like, why are they so much better than me? And it robs me of my joy that happens to all of us in life. And so this becoming the me that I was created to be is is different, though, than what the world would often tell us as well, because uh, we can't just say, hey, listen, I'm just going to be who I am. And uh, and that's fine. No, see, there was a you that you were created to be. You have a maker, sir or ma'am, teenager. You have a maker. And, And the maker, the creator designed you to be a specific way and created you to be a certain way. And you won't be filled with joy until you are walking in that calling. In fact, Satan uh, wants you to, to go a different way. And again, the world will put all kinds of things on you. There is a book um, called The Me I Want to Be by uh, an author named John Ortberg. And he says, um, he says there are two sort of selves we have. We have the languishing self or like the struggling self. And then we have the flourishing self. The flourishing self is when we walk in God's identity and calling for us, his purpose for us. And the languishing or the struggling self is when we listen to the world, we listen to ourselves or to our heart. And, um, and he says, typically the languishing self or the struggling self, there are three typical ways we try to form our identity or form who we're supposed to be. The first is the me I pretend to be, right? You know about that one, right? Church folks are, are famous for that, right? Oh, everything's fine. Everything's great. How are you? Wonderful, brother. Everything is great on the inside, right? We are crippled. We are struggling. We are needing prayer. We are needing someone to to, you know, pre-pandemic, give us a, a hug and even, you know, somehow a family member, somebody to safely give us a hug and, and encourage us because we we can't make it another step. We just barely got to church today and we put on the magic Christian face and all of a sudden we're, we're blessed and highly favored. And, um, and, and but on the inside, we're struggling. This is me that I pretend to be. I heard the story about a guy who had just received a promotion in the military, I believe, uh, to lieutenant. And, um, and he wanted to show everybody that he had this position of power. He wanted to pretend that he was this awesome man and, and received this great leadership position. And so he got his new office and he saw this private, you know, getting ready to, to, to approach him and walk up to his office. And so he quickly picked up the phone and pretended uh, to be talking to the general because he was now a big wing. Yes, sir, general, he said. Yes, uh, uh, you can count on me. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you, sir. I appreciate uh, that commendation. Yes, sir. I will. Yes, sir. And the private is now sitting at the door just waiting for him, you know, and uh, uh, that's correct. Yes, General. Okay. Slams with the phone. What do you want, private? He says. And the private says, sir, I'm here to hook up your phone. (laughs) And the reality is that the me that I pretend to be will, will, will get caught, right? 
we'll, we'll get caught eventually that we don't measure up, that we don't make it. And so he says this, this worldly self, the struggling self, is you know sometimes one to me that I pretend to be, or he says this to me that I think I should be. There is this idea in my head, whether it came from the world, um, whether it came from my parents, whether it came from the church, whether it came from all these, and there is this me that I think I should be. And I have this list that as a woman, I should be doing these things, or a man, I should be doing these things, or as a husband, or, or these, I should be doing these things. And it's not God's list. That's the difference between the sort of false self, the counterfeit one, and, and, and God's one. And I, and I have this idea. And he says, thirdly, there is this me that other people want me to be. I think that my peers want me to act this way or dress this way, and I and I have to impress them or my neighbors or my family, you know that sort of stuff. And there is this uh, me that others want me to be. And he says all of those things are counterfeits, and they rob us of joy when only we act in the way that we were created, because only the Maker has the right to tell you and me who I'm supposed to be. And so again, how do we figure that out, and and what is the struggle with all of this? Well. I want to show you one picture and then uh, jump into the text. Well, actually, it's a couple pictures here. But I think this uh, picture that I want to show you in just a second kind of really helps us understand that uh, the reason why we're struggling with this is because sin has marred us. The reason why we can't just say, be who, who you want to be, be who, who, like Disney, be who your heart tells you to be. The reason why you can't listen to that either is because your heart is corrupt. My heart is corrupt. And so we can't just follow that. Sin has marred us. Sin has tainted us. And, and God is in the process of restoring us to, to the original design. Um, the Bible says that we are like an artwork that has been just spray painted over. So this past week, my family and I uh, had the privilege to be in Williamsburg. Some friends invited us uh, to hang out in their timeshare, which was a, a tremendous blessing. And, um, and they actually had, and this is what my kids love most about traveling, they actually have cable because, you know, my kids get to watch all these channels that they don't normally see. And so, and I was taking part in that as well. And uh, I was like, ooh, look, TNT, ooh, ESPN. And, you know, I was checking it all out. And um, and the movie The Hobbit came on. If you're familiar with The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, I love those movies. And so I was watching, I was just reminded of this character named Smeagol. I think we have a picture of Smeagol there. Smeagol is a hobbit who is a small person, not a midget, and they have big, hairy feet. Uh, hobbits are also known to be humble and gentle. Uh, there are dwarves in the story as well, and the dwarves are small, but they, they've got the small man syndrome, right? The, door, the dwarves are greedy, they're arrogant, they're prideful, but, but hobbits are just humble people. They live in the Shire, and they're just peaceful, and they keep to themselves and, and really humble. But Smeagol um, actually finds this ring, and this ring throughout all of the, the, the different trilogies uh, that Tolkien wrote uh, represents sin, really. And it just becomes attractive. And that anybody who gets this ring, it basically begins to corrupt them. And everybody wants the ring. And they fight over it and they kill over it and wars are waged over it. And then when you get it, um, it becomes, you know, my precious, if you're familiar with the movies. And so this is what uh, Smeagol originally looks like. And then he finds the ring while he's on a fishing trip with his brother. He ends up killing his brother over the ring. And uh, because that's what the ring does, it starts to twist you. And so this is what he eventually ends up looking like. This is what sin does. He is now called Gollum, right? And this is kind of like a creepy looking dude. And, and I just want you to know, all of us look like that on the inside. So you may be covering it nicely, and I may be covering it nicely, but sin has tainted us, has marred us, has corrupted us, has mangled us, has deformed us, has messed us all up. It has stained and tainted us. And let's go to the next one there, Brother Mike. And so we go from what God created us to be 
And because of sin, because of our cravings and our yearnings, we go to this other character. And so that's why we can't just say, hey, listen, I was created to be this way, and so I just leave myself alone. No, your heart is corrupt, and so you have to be restored. And so God is in that process of restoring us. And so how do we find out and how do we continue to be a person who grows and learn God's identity for us? And so we're going to see as, as Paul writes to the book, uh, writes to the church at Philippi here. And uh, let's pick it up. Actually, I'll give you point number one. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Uh, point number one is this, right? Growth, because we, we get joy from growing. Growth comes from community. And, and Paul is going to tell us this here in these first couple verses. But growth comes from community. We need community in order to grow. This is one of the major ways which God has designed us. We need people to rub shoulders with, socially distance. I mean, you know, just like virtually rub shoulders with, right? But, but I mean, we've got to be around people. We were designed for community. We need others. They shape us. They help us. And um, I need others. You need others. You all need someone in your life. You need multiple people in your life. Look at the first couple of verses here. We'll pick it up in verse 3. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, I thank my God. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. By the way, that's a freebie. That's a free. You don't have to write that one down. We'll get to this at some point later. But but another key to joy is, is gratitude. And um, one author, Ann Voskamp, says, joy is always possible because thanks is always possible. Amen? Isn't that true? You can always find something to be grateful for and to thank God for. <laughs> joy is always possible because thanks is always possible. And Paul starts his letter with a thank you. In fact, This book, the book of Philippians, is actually a first century thank you note. The church at Philippi, Paul had started, and then as he moved on to go to other places, um, they sent him money. Now, Paul was a tent maker, and he uh, was self-sufficient, but the Philippian church wanted to send him money to help him on his journeys, and so he was writing to thank them. Paul was also in jail, as we talked about last week, and so he's writing a book on joy from not uh, a comfy lounge chair, not from uh, the Bahamas, not from Tahiti, um, not from the spine getting a massage. He's writing a book on joy from a jail cell. And he's teaching us what true joy is about. But he's saying thank you because the Philippians also sent someone to him, a guy named Epaphroditus. And, um, and Epaphroditus came to help Paul while he was in jail. But he got sick and, and Paul said, look, man, you don't need to be here anymore. Just go, go on back home to Philippi. And so but he was thanking them for that. And so he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always, verse four, in every prayer of mine for you all. Making my prayer with what? Joy. I'm making my prayer with joy. My prayer is filled with joy. Why? Because I'm in community with you. Even though we're kind of separated by distance, I still know like we're still corresponding and we can encourage one another. And, and praise God for the all the different technologies. Praise God for you who are making phone calls and talking to people from our church and talking to your family over the phone and not allowing the, the community aspect of your lives to slip, even though you may not be able to see certain people uh, as you would regularly. He says this, and this is what Paul is doing, right? My prayer with joy, verse five, because of your partnership, some translations say fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Let me just camp on verse five for a second. Again, he says the word partnership here, or you may have heard the word fellowship in church. It's a church word, but the Greek word is koinonia, and it means the the most intimate community there is, a deep sharing of everything that one has. Earlier in the book of Acts, which talks about the start of the church, it says the church shared with one another everything they had. No one had a need in the church because people sold their possessions and gave to everyone who had a need. If someone had a need in the church, they're like, hey, you need this? I got you. Hey, you need this? I, I got you. And, um, and, and we are a community. There is this deep level of sharing. And that's what we're called to have as believers. And that's what enables us 
to grow. I grow from you. You teach me things as a pastor, as I get to know you and see God at work in your life and the people who are sitting next to you or who you're in community with, if you are in community with them, they will help you grow and, and listen to me now, help you become the you that you were made to be. But apart from community, your growth will be stunted because we need one another. So he says we have this partnership, right? And, and then he goes on in verse seven. If you look ahead to verse seven, just uh, one verse down. It says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, right? Notice this feeling that he has for them, this love that he has for them. I hold you in my heart for you are all, and notice again the word here, partakers with me. He says you are partakers with me. That's actually a combination of that same koinonia, meaning sharing together intimate community. It's a combination of another word. He calls it sig koinonos, which means, uh, and the sig is this, man, we, we are we are, you are coming alongside me now. Um, it, it is with me. You did this with me. And he's even saying, you suffered with me. At the church at Philippi, when he started the church, there was persecution there. They healed a slave girl who, who, who had a, a demonic spirit. It was uh, being used by her slave owners to make money off of her. And they healed her from that. And so the slave owners couldn't make money off her anymore. And so they were obviously upset. And they started a riot to attack Paul in the early church there. And, um, and so he says, look, you guys were with me in this. But even now that I'm suffering and I'm in jail, you guys have been sending me money. You guys have been sending me packages. You guys sent me Epaphroditus. Man, you guys suffered with me. You came alongside and, and bore my burdens with me. And when people do that for your life, doesn't it help you? When people come alongside you and enter into your suffering with you, man, that helps. It's tremendous, isn't it? And you become that for others. He says, you did this with me. You have helped me. And so, and then he goes on to say, you are partakers with me. You came alongside when we notice what he says with grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. Listen, you need community, sir or ma'am. You can't do this on your own. You need people around you, godly people, right? Christian folk who are going to point you to Christ. And so the question for each of us, who is in your corner? Who is, who is, you know, you got to go out to fight that battle every day. Who, who is your coach who's massaging your shoulder saying, get out there and get him? And listen, you're not going to like everybody in community, right? You're not going to like everybody in church. You're not going to like everybody in your community group. That's okay. In fact, when you don't like people, that's the people God is using the most. It's kind of like, you know, an oyster, <laughs> right? Making a pearl. How's a pearl get made? There's a little uh, grain of sand that bothers the oyster and it surrounds it and makes this beautiful pearl. Sometimes it'll be the people you dislike the most that help you grow the most. Amen. If you can't say amen, then you should say ouch. And because um, I know you don't want to hear it and I don't want to hear it, but you need the people around. You need a community. And so the question is, are you, listen, are you connected to the church body? And I know, listen, especially during times of pandemic and, and our online audience, man, it's important for all of us to take into account, man, am I really connected or do I just show up, right? Am I truly connected? Do I have a group? Are you part of a group? We have some virtual groups going on. You can fill out a connection card and, and, uh, and ask to be part of a group. We have real in-person groups for those who feel comfortable with it. Are you a part of that? If you're in a group, are you actually being real with those people? And are you working to connect with them? Right, Not just showing up, because again, you can show up and not be part of the community. I want to show you this next picture here. Uh, maybe you've seen these. You've heard this story before, familiar with this. These are giant sequoias. They grow over on the West Coast. They are huge trees. I mean, somewhere between 30 to 40 feet in diameter, right? Things are massive. And they are the tallest trees 
um, uh, on earth. They grow up to like close to 300 feet tall. I mean, which is amazing to see these things. And, uh, and they're awesome. And, and the thing I learned about these trees, you would think that a tree that grows so tall would have roots that just grow down so deep to hold them up during the storms so they don't get knocked over, right? Because if you if you work to build a skyscraper, you know think about engineering. When they build skyscrapers, they gotta go deep, right? You go you go to New York City and those places or, or any place else, man, you realize how deep they have to go into the ground to keep that thing from swaying in the wind because it's so tall. The thing about these giant sequoia trees, they actually have very shallow roots. You think, how do these things with shallow roots you know, stay. And, and they're some of the oldest, uh, you know, living things scientists say we have on earth. How do they stay and how do they hang out like that? How is that possible without them getting blown over with such shallow roots? Well, the reality is the next picture reminds us that these giant sequoias don't grow as individuals. They only grow in groves. They only grow in community. And that what their roots do, their roots actually begin to intertwine. And so the strength is not in one tree. The strength is in all the trees connected together with their roots as a community. The same is true for you and me. And so growth happens in community. And if you want to be a person who is growing and becoming the me that God created you, you have to be in biblical community. I'm not just talking about, hey, any group of friends. I'm talking about Christians. Like If you call yourself a Christian, you need to surround yourself with, with other believers who are going to shape you and you're going to shape them. Iron sharpens iron is what the Bible says. And so do you have that? Who are you tied to? Make a step today. Fill out a connection card and get that process rolling. Make a commitment to say, you know what? I'm not just going to show up to church. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to be a part of I'm going to be part of the community. I'm going to start serving, right? And those of you who serve, you know you start to develop community with people, right? You start to get closer to them. And so you step up that way. Number two, so number one is growth happens in community. Number two is this growth is guaranteed for the believer. Oh my goodness, this is huge. Growth is guaranteed for the believer, right? This is really the main crux of this passage. This answers the main question. Like, is there hope for me? Am I always going to be? Am, am I not enough? Am I not going to be enough? Am I going to make it? Am I always going to have this problem? Is there hope for me to change? Is there hope for me to grow? This verse answers it clearly. Will I ever get my life together? right? Am I ever going to improve? I feel like a failure. This verse, verse six that we're going to look at here in just a second uh, is, is huge. Uh, Bible commentator and pastor James Boyce says this, God finish what he starts. God finishes what he starts. And this verse, verse six, he says, is perhaps one of the three greatest verses of the Bible that teach the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The doctrine of the perseverance saints means, hey, when you become a Christian, just as we sang a moment ago, right? No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever, what? Pluck me from his hand. Oh, what a beautiful song that was. Thank you, Scott and worship team for that, man. No power of hell, no scheme of, of man can ever pluck me from God's hand. Here I stand. I don't stand in my own power. If you, if you remember the song, it says this. It's in the power of Christ. I stand. Perseverance of the saints means that all true believers will persevere throughout the end of time. You may have heard it once saved, always saved. And, um, and, and that's true because we didn't save ourselves. We are saved by the power of Christ. And who is more powerful than him? True believers will persevere to the end. And he says this, right? He goes on uh, about the doctrine of perseverance. It's what God has brought to a saving knowledge, anyone who God has brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ will never be lost. 
He says men and women lack perseverance, don't we? Men and women start things and drop them. Men and women, you and I are always beginning things that we never actually find time to finish. Anybody else guilty of that? Stack of books you like started on, right? Home projects you meant to get around to, right? All these things that we don't finish. And um, he goes on to say this, but God perseveres and he always finishes what he starts. He asks the question, has God begun something in your life? Has God begun something in your life? Then you need not ever fear that you will be lost. Your confidence should not be in yourself. Your confidence should not be in your faith. Your confidence should not be in your spiritual successes of earlier years. Your confidence should be but in Christ alone. It is he who calls us as Christians. It is he who leads us in the Christian life. And it is he who most certainly will what? Lead us home. And so that was a perfect song for us to sing, right? From life's, uh, you know, from the beginning to life's final breath, here in the power of Christ, I stand. So let's look at the verse, right? Verse six, just powerful, filled with dynamite. Verse six, he says this, and I am sure of this. I am sure of this. Paul says, I'm sure of this. I am confident of this. I'm confident of what? He says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work. And so we're reminded, who began the work? God. See, salvation starts with God. We tend to say things like this. When I decided to follow Christ, when, when I got saved, um, you know, uh, when I found God. No, no, no. God found you. God saved you. And, and he started the work. We responded to it. We do have a response, yes. We responded to it. But, but God was never lost. We didn't find him. He, we were the ones that were lost. He found us. He came to us while we're at our worst. And he still loved us. Man, he who began. And what kind of work was it? It's a good work. He who began a good work in you. God began a good work in you. If you are a true believer, right? That's the question. Are you a true believer? And and if the good work has begun in your life, then he will bring it to completion. He will finish that work. He's not going to leave you half-baked. Uh, he's, he's not going to leave us with some parts dangling like, oh, yeah, I forgot to sew that up there. You know, no, he is going to complete the work. He will bring it to completion. I don't know about you, but man, that is so encouraging. So if you feel stuck, take confidence because God is going to complete the work. Amen. Not in yourself, but in God's work. Your story isn't over yet. He hasn't finished writing. So maybe you had a bad chapter, right? Oh, thank God for the next chapter. Because God is the one writing your story. And it's never too late. Because God is going to complete the work in you. The question is, am I seeking him? Am I turning to him? You see, because we can make it harder on ourselves, God is going to complete the work. We can be like a stubborn mule. You ever seen a, a stubborn mule, right? The, the owner is trying to pull him, right? And he's just like digging in, like all fours is digging in, like I ain't going anywhere. And you just have to keep pulling. And, uh, and we can do that with God. Or we can cooperate. But God is going to change you one way or another. Amen. And sometimes it's harder on us when we when we act foolish, when we uh, don't continue to seek God. Uh, later on in chapter two of Philippians, Paul would tell them and remind them that, listen, you need to cooperate with God's process. And when you cooperate with God's process of changing you, uh, it, it works out so much better. And in fact, your joy increases. God does the work, but we must cooperate. In the the second chapter, verses 12 through 13, this is what he says to them. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, 
not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. That's kind of like a parent verse, right? You know how it is, kids? And when you have kids and grandkids, you know, they behave when you're around and you walk out the door and what do they do? They go crazy, right? Like the parents don't know that you went crazy. Like we weren't kids ourselves. Or you go to the grocery store and you leave kids at home and they, and they go crazy, right? Paul's saying, hey, Philippians, listen, I, I left and I'm, I'm now at a different location. I continue to obey, right? Just don't behave because I was there. But he says this, right? This is a key verse here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. Some people say, wait, wait, Pastor, am I supposed to work for my salvation? No, he says you're working it out. You're working out, you're cooperating with the work that God is doing. The rest of the verse helps you. He says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, verse 13. For it is, verse 13, for it is who? God, it is God who works in you, verse 13, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I like to say it this way. You have to work out what God has already worked in. God already put it inside of you. God has put the Holy Spirit and all the raw material for your growth inside of you. You've got to work it out by cooperating with him. And notice, God is working you both to will and to act. God will give you the energy. God will give you the desire. God will change your desires. God will move through you. And so you have to remind that. Uh, the, the quote is attributed to the famous artist and sculptor Michelangelo. When they asked him about, you know, how do you how do you create these beautiful sculptures out of these? It's just a block, just a giant block of granite. How do you create these amazing sculptures? Michelangelo replied, he says, the sculpture is already inside that block. What I do as a sculptor, I just carve away all the unnecessary parts. Oh, that's what God is doing to you and me. See, we're already we look like a block. You think I'm just a block, Pastor. If you see me, I just feel like a block. <laughs> and, uh, and God is saying, no, all the raw materials are there. I put it inside there for those who are true believers. I already put it in there. But what God is going to do is he's going to sculpt you. He's going to carve away the stuff that doesn't need to be there. Now, that carving process isn't always easy. Amen. Sometimes God is chipping away. We got some we got some parts that need to be chipped away. Some anger. okay, some fear, some anxiety, some selfishness that needs to get chipped away. And God is going to use all kinds of things. That's why we said before God is going to use community. Right. God uses children to work on parents selfishness. I mean, my goodness, those precious little kids are sanctifying tools. Um, in our lives, they help us realize how how self-centered we are. I have to get up and feed you first. I've been feeding myself first for 30 years. Oh, I feed you first. You interrupted my sleep. Why would you do this? Man, it's sanctifying, right? That's what that's what this is. God is using that. He is carving away the unnecessary parts. And so number one, growth happens in community. Number two, growth is guaranteed. And so take heart, be encouraged. You will become the me you are created to be, not by your own strength, but by the strength of Christ. You got you to work with him, but he will complete the work. And that is so encouraging. And finally, and thirdly, we'll close with this, is that growth is primarily about love. In our information age, we tend to think growth is about information, right? In our schools, we have tests. And we want to test kids and continue to see, do they know all the information? And that's what determines their growth. And church life isn't too different, right? How many Bible studies did you go to? How many verses did you memorize? And nothing wrong with memorizing verses and going to Bible studies. But sometimes we think it is for our information to make our heads bigger and swollen instead of for our transformation. And our transformation will make our hearts bigger and swollen with Love, amen. And so growth is primarily about becoming love. The Bible says 
God is love, right? God is love. And so if our growth is primarily about becoming more like Christ, we are going to become more like love. So let's look at the verses here. Verses 8 through 11, he says this in verse 8. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn, how I yearn for you. Man, that is affection word. That is love words. He loves the Philippians. I yearn for you. I yearn for you, he says. And then he goes on, right? With the affection, with the affection of who? Of Christ. If you remember the, the, the last series where we did where, where the election infection stuff, we talked about loving your neighbor, not just as yourself, but we, we were given the command by Jesus to love others as Christ has loved us. Woo, that's a whole, like there's no wiggle room, right? You might be able to get some wiggle room out of love your neighbors yourself. You might be like, well, you know, I don't do this for myself, so I'm not going to do it for them. I'm here to you this. But when you talk about loving people as Christ loved them, now there's no wiggle room to get out of stuff then. And this is what Paul is saying. I love you Philippians with the same affection that Christ has. And this is a good reminder that, listen, you, you could, I, I'm not saying change the Bible, but you could replace the, 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 the words here with your own words. Number one, you could remind yourself that God is yearning for you. That God has affections for you, right? Because he's saying, I, I, I have this affection, the same affection that Christ has for you, and, and I have this for you. And you need to be reminded, sermon, that Christ has affection for you. And so he is talking about growing in love. And then notice what he prays, right? Verse 9, he tells them the prayer request. And it is my prayer that your what may grow? Your Bible knowledge may grow. Your bank account may grow. Your SAT scores may grow. Your, your beauty may grow. Your waist may grow smaller. It didn't say any of those things. He says that your love, that your love, and then he didn't just say grow. He says abound. I like that word. I don't want your love to just grow like, I want your love to abound. And then he adds the words more and more. Like as Christians, if we are growing into who God made us to be, our love should be just overflowing day in and day out. And that's the true mark of a Christian. That's the true uh, notice that God is growing in you. Not that you uh, checked off the box that you went to church and that you attended a Sunday school class, you attended this or that, or, or even that you served, but that you are becoming a person of love. He says that your love may grow more and more. And then notice this, because he's not just talking about soft, gushy love, right? I'm not just talking about being, you know, uh, all touchy-feely, because growing and love also means growing in wisdom. Notice what he says, that your love may abound in what? In knowledge, right? I want your love to grow in knowledge. And listen, that means the more you get to know God, the more you love him. And that's happened to me. The more I get to know God, the more I read the scripture, the more I experience him, the more I love him. And the same thing is true with others, those in your family. The more you get to know them, that's one way of loving them. And so how well do you know those in your community, those in your family? Do you know them that well? Could your love grow more in knowledge for them? I've often been told it's a challenge to husbands. It's a challenge to me um, uh, by different authors and pastors that say, listen, as a husband, you need to study your wife. You need to get some homework done. You need to take some notes on your wife. And all the men are like, what? Um, I tried, man. She's an enigma, bro. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's like one day she likes blue and the next day it's, it's pink. I mean, and it is, you know, listen. We are called 
that, with that same kind of studying to grow in knowledge with the people that we love. And so knowledge, it, what he says, right? But not only knowledge, but also in discernment. That word discernment there is actually where they test things by fire. And so he's saying, listen, I'm not just talking about growing in love where you just approve of everything. He says, no, I want you to grow in discernment that you as a Christian will be able to discern what is right, what is wrong, what is healthy, what's unhealthy for you, and that your love will grow in discernment. You'll be able to test things and they purify the metal. Nope, that's got too much impurities there. That ain't for me. I'm not going to take part in that. And, and, and listen, sometimes that means you also loving people means telling them hard truths. You're discerning. This isn't right in your life. And I love you enough to tell you, you got some broccoli right here in your teeth. Right. And so love will say difficult things. It will say it in a loving way. But he says this, right, and it continues on, that you may be able to test, right? You may be able to test and approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. For some Jason say ready for the day of Christ. And then verse 11, he says this, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. He's saying, listen, you when God is done completing the work, you're going to be like this beautiful vine. Just picture me, right? Not with ravens all on my arms, right? But just this vine with grapes just hanging all up off me. Fruit of the Spirit hanging all up off me. And, and at the end of my life, God is going to complete that work. And it's going to create praise and glory. Not for Daniel Mackey, but for who? But for God, your life. And that's what brings you joy. Your joy will come from reflecting and bringing praise to God because your life has been filled with the fruit of righteousness. The person who grows the most knows the most about love. And so listen, the you you were meant to be is not a position. It's not a salary. Uh, The you you were meant to become is a type of person. It's a person of love. John Ortberg also said it this way. He says the most important task in your life, the most important task in your life is not what you will do, but in who you will become. We are human beings. We are becoming all that we were created to be, not human doings. So if you're still breathing, there's hope for you. Amen. Because God has not finished with you yet. There is hope for you. There's hope for you to change. God will complete the work and he will complete the good work. And now listen, I know we struggle, right? And I've worked with people in addiction and recovery ministries uh, for many years. And, and dealt with my own uh, addiction stuff. And, and one of the struggles of people who are addicts, and you can encourage yourself and encourage your loved ones with this, is you just feel like it's always going to be this way. I, I, I've tried everything, Pastor. I've tried this. I've gone this. I've, I did that. I, I did my 90 days. I got my chip. And then I fell again. I'm always going to struggle. And listen, there may still be a struggle for all of your life. But listen to me and hear me clearly. God will complete the work in you one day. I don't know. And just because it's always been that way doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. Because God is changing you and he has made a promise to us. Amen. And so as we close here, the question I think for all of us is, how are you growing? And are you conforming to the image of Christ? Not to the image of who you think you should be or the world thinks you should be, but are you conforming to Christ? And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you have not yet stepped across that line. You're trying on your own. You're listening to the wrong voices about who you should be. And listen. We are inviting you. Christ is inviting you to a relationship with him. It's not religion that changes us. It's a relationship that changes us. Religion is is something uh, false. Religion is just dressing up what is dead. Religion is just putting lipstick on a pig, right? I like to say this. I saw this picture of of that character, Gollum, 
um, uh, from the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, and uh, it was for a dentist advertisement. And, um, and so they changed up Gollum, right? And they just put some nice veneer teeth on him, right? Just give him a nice smile. Like, that's going to change him. No, Gollum is still creepy. He is still crawling around going, my precious. He is still greedy and angry and wanting all these sorts of things. He may have a nice smile now. Okay? And listen to me now. This is what religion does. Religion puts a fake smile on. We're not talking about religion, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about a relationship with Christ. And when he comes, he restores you back to who you were originally created to be. Back to Smeagol. <laughs> And not this creature. And so the question is, have you trusted him? Have you ever experienced the beginning of that good work? That's the question for you. Once you were dead and now you are alive. Once you couldn't hear his voice, but now you can hear his voice. Once you didn't care about eternity, once you didn't care about the resurrection, you didn't care about the cross, you didn't care about Jesus, those things didn't mean anything to you. And now those things mean everything to you. Has that happened to you? That's the question for us. So I'd like to just have us bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment for those who have not yet received Christ, who do not have that personal relationship. And again, not religion, but I'm talking about a relation. I want to give you with heads bowed and eyes closed an opportunity to receive Christ just in the quietness of your heart there. If you know that's you and you want to step across the line, you don't want to be Gollum anymore. You want to be recreated and not just with a fake smile. You want to be made new. You might want to pray something like this. You can repeat this prayer right after me, just silently and in the quietness. Right? You don't have to say it out loud. But God hears you if you mean this genuinely. You might want to say something like this. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you. I admit that I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I believe that you rose again from the grave. I believe that you rose again from the grave. Father, right now I give myself to you. Father, right now I give myself to you. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. If you prayed that prayer for the first time with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just... I'm not going to embarrass you. I don't want you anything. I just want you to fill out a connection card just like everybody else has, has done earlier. And, and just let us know. Or find us after the service. We're going to have a moment of, of, of singing in just a second. But with heads bowed and, and eyes closed, we want to help you grow. We want to be part of the community here for you to grow in. And you can't do that on your own. Every child needs to be part of a family. You don't want to be an orphan. And so just let us know. And that way we can help you on this process. There's no shame in it. If, if you've been in church for 50 years and you just prayed that prayer for the first time, praise God, hallelujah. Because the Lord knew you were just a golem with a fake smile. And he wanted so much more for you. He wanted to change you deeper. And your friends and the people of this church will celebrate. Nothing to be embarrassed about ever. God is making people new. Let me pray for all of us. Father, I thank you. I pray for myself, God, that you would continue to grow me. Pray, God, that you would help us all, God, to not take our cues from the world, to not put up a false self about who we're created to be. We wouldn't listen to, to anybody else but you and you alone because you are the maker and you know exactly what we're supposed to be, God. And we can only find that as we grow in you and grow close to your word. So teach us. God, bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to close with this quote. I've shared it many times before, and it's so encouraging. 
as we prepare to sing. The old preacher from the 1800s, Robert Murray McShay, said this, when you start to look at yourself and feel discouraged, now he says, for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Right? So when you feel discouraged, you, you remember, no, I'm going to be like Christ. He's going to complete the work in me. The full quote goes on like this. He says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's from Jeremiah. He says, don't, don't trust your heart, right? But he says, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He, he is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty, yet such meekness and grace. And all for sinners, even the chief, even the greatest of sinners. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eyes settled on you in love and repose or rest in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with the heart-ravishing sense of sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart so there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or flesh. Amen. Isn't that good? Gosh, the more we look at Christ, the more we are transformed. So stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at the world and look to Christ. And listen, as the old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So let's stand together as we're going to sing to the Lord and declare him. And, and this is an opportunity for us to worship. If you need prayer, you're welcome to come pray here at the front. Uh, we'll be at the back after the service for prayer because because of distancing, we'll be praying right up on top of each other. But we'd love to pray with you if you have a prayer need after the service in the back. We'd love to talk with you. And so let's worship together. <laughs>